Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathrum, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. If it's your first time here, please remember to subscribe and follow wherever you happen to be listening. Also, check us out on the web and sign up for our newsletter. That way you don't miss out on any of the great updates for our Monday Mindsets, new episodes coming out, and ways to meet some of the guests that we interview. If you're looking for a mentor or you just want to meet someone to help you shift your mindset, sign up for our newsletter. I'd also like to connect with each and every one of you, so please use the link below to my LinkedIn page. There you can follow and connect with me. I'd love to be a part of your network and learn from your experience. Let's get connected. The DC Local Leaders podcast and platform are both continuing to grow. If you think your company would like to partner with us, please contact us today. You can find our contact information on the web at dclocalleaders.com, or you can reach out to me directly through LinkedIn. Today's episode is with Jess Smita. She's currently the general manager at AWS for their VPN business, but she's the former CTO of Axios, an online media company, and co-founder of Opturo, a business-to-business software-as-a-service company. Jess has a pretty interesting career. She taught herself how to code, playing with her computer at around age six. From there, she went on to the University of Maryland College Park, where she never actually graduated, but later founded her company, Opturo. She found her calling in the technology industry, and it was at Opturo where she went through a major life change that helped her become the person she is now and have the mindset that she has now. So we talk a lot about what happens to a person when they go through some internal challenges and how they have to overcome those challenges and what happens to them in the workplace and as an individual and how she's found executive coaching to be something as well as therapy. It's something that helped her become who she is. So a great lesson of leadership and how to just show up as your actual whole self to work every day. But outside of that, she's got some great experiences. She knows how to play multiple instruments and there is an overlap, she believes, with music and coding. So we have a great chat about her experience in founding her first company, what she was doing in between and how she actually did that. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening in, you can definitely take away a lot of great information as well as if you're a CTO and you're you're hard in your your technical skills and you want to round out some of those soft skills and you know there's still things you want to work on. She's got some great recommendations for executive coaching and things that have worked for her to get her where she is. So Again, please remember to sign up for our newsletter. Make sure you subscribe wherever you happen to be listening and definitely come find me on LinkedIn. I want to connect with you. Follow me, connect with me. I want to get to know you. So let's get into the episode. Well, Jess Smita, welcome. Thank you for joining us here at the DC Local Leaders Podcast. Thanks for having me. So you are currently general manager mm-hmm. of the VPN services with AWS. AWS, that's right. Right. Amazon Web Services, Mm -hmm. if we didn't already know. (laughs) You've got a great career. Before that, you were CTO at Axios. Mm -hmm. And before that, you co-founded a company, Upturo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Talk to us about Upturo. And how old were you when you co-founded that company? Uh, I was 30. So relatively young, right? Not, Not too far outside of school. I guess not. Yeah. Well, was, I mean, honestly, I had an interesting kind of path. I, I got kicked out of school. Did you? I did. <laughs> Good for you. So let's hear the story. 
Well, I was at College Park attending CS. I was actually doubling in music composition. And I don't know, I just never went to class. I had taught myself how to program when I was a kid. So, I don't know, we had a computer and... Well, okay, so if you want the whole story, we had a computer, like an old 286 in the mid-80s. And my dad was a letter carrier. My mom had like a in-home daycare. We didn't have a ton of money, but they blew it on buying this computer. And I was like, great, black screen, what do I do? Because <laughs> it was DOS. Yep. And so we got these magazines, a 3-to-1 contact magazine. And in the back, they listed out a basic program. You could type it in, you'd get a video game. And I was like, great, I'll get a video game. The computer was right next to the air conditioner. I was growing up in Maryland. The summers are really hot. Mm-hmm. It's nasty all the time. I want to sit next to the computer. And so I'm, I'm figuring this thing out. And I get a video game out of it. And so that's how I learned to program was basically like entertaining myself. How old were you? Six. Uh, you're about six. Or, wow. Was your, is your parents is one of, why did you have this magazine in the house? Well, my parents were always into sort of STEM education, I suppose. My mom was an early childhood educator and my dad was just always fascinated by technology. And so he brought technology into the house. He was always fascinated by it. So I think I grew like learned that from yeah, him. You had that. Experience. He helped me kind of get over a lot of the early homes. That I started teaching him later. <laughs> what were your, what were your dinner time conversations and stuff like that around? Like, were they, well, we didn't talk about technology, I suppose, around the dinner table so much. It was more just like, oh, that was Jess and her, her weird thing. <laughs> did you, uh, did you play sports or do anything when you were growing up? I mean, I was, pretty bad at sports yeah <laughs> I, I guess i played like t-ball and a little bit of baseball but but music is part of your like did yeah. you pick that up as a were you playing in the band well i was or? i was enrolled in piano lessons when i was three i guess so that was like a big thing thanks to my grandparents so music's always been a huge part of my life and I, people say that there's a connection between music and technology like and math because you think about things in that sort of very ordered and systems kind of structured way yeah uh, i suppose so that's always been a connection what, what instrument did you play Oh, I grew up playing piano and saxophone, but then in high school I picked up bassoon and flute, and I was the principal bassoonist for the DC Youth Orchestra in high school. Uh, I went to Suitland High School, which is a special performing arts school. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I played at Wolf Trap, I played at the Kennedy Center, I did like jazz and classical music, and actually my, my superpower today is I can play any instrument you hand me. So Really? Well, because you know bass, bass clef and treble clef, it's yeah, like yeah. You, you read and my sisters had like uh, my sister had a violin and one of them had an oboe and so I kind of picked up all these different kinds of things and just ended up playing a lot of different How many instruments. sisters do you have? Two. I'm the oldest. Yeah. You're the oldest mm-hmm. of two. And and are they tech related folks too? Did they follow a similar path? No. On- so my the middle sister she's a kindergarten teacher up near mm-hmm. Baltimore and my youngest sister actually works in the cannabis industry in California. <laughs> but I don't know. Are they still playing music now? They're not the as they're not the musical kinds as, no. uh, that I am. That's interesting. A lot of people that we've spoke to, there's always this overlap between some sort of discipline. A lot of times it's sports. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's martial arts or, and and in sports it's not always team sports. I found mm-hmm. sometimes it's the individual sports like swimming or track. Sure, it takes a lot of discipline to yeah. learn how to play music. Well, I mean, those have been a part of my life more more in my adult years. Like. Yeah. I studied Taekwondo as an adult. Almost got to black belt, but got busy with Toro actually. Really? <laughs> so you so you didn't finish school? No, no. What I, were you doing? In, and you started up to around thirty. So you got to mm-hmm. get. What were you doing during that time? Yeah. Well, when I dropped out of college, I, I was actually working. I ran IT for a local GIS company back in the nineties. GIS Trans. They did a bunch of consulting for the FAA. Actually, it was pretty fun. So, did you get certifications in coding or any of these things? Nope. So you just you knew you knew how to code in, w- in what language? Because you learned on DOS, but then what? Well, I mean, I, I guess I learned basic and then C and assembly because I was interested mm-hmm. in this thing happening in Europe called the demo scene, which okay. is about like making art and graphics out of with computers, which is really exciting. 
So I learned C and assembly from that. And then I sort of taught myself Perl and bash programming. And that's what I was doing. When I left GIS Trans, I went to what was known as Intermedia, but more people know it as Digex, which was a local large ISP in Maryland, connected a lot of businesses together in the early days. And so I was a Solaris administrator there. And basically to be good at your job, you have to code. And so I taught myself Perl. I taught myself bash coding. And then after I left Digex in like, was this 2000 or so, I moved up to Western Massachusetts for a whole personal story reason <laughs> to follow somebody and ended up doing a lot of independent web consulting. So it was PHP. And then I connected with a bunch of other consultants and I got into Java a lot because we were doing, well, that was just what the guy was using, honestly. And I was like, yeah, I'll learn Java. I can do that. So you just kind of freelancing at this time? Yeah. Well, I, it was free. I freelanced for about a year or two in the early 2000s. This was right at the big first dot com bubble crash. Yeah. And so I'm putting together the timeline. That's yeah. Right. And that's, and that's actually right around like after 9-11 and well, yeah, actually it was. I, I remember 9-11 happened. I was at the Digitex office. I was sitting in, in Cube Farm and somebody wheeled over a TV and was like, everybody, we gotta look at this thing. And I was like, what? And yeah. it was just stunning what was happening. It was, it was right. absolutely but, mind-blowing. But, and and yeah. when you think about the federal services and how that's changed, like the creation of DHS and what was going on with, yeah. and the need for new technologies to come on board, that's right around all of that, that same time. Right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And when you were... You're teaching yourself how to code. What does that mean? Like you're going home and doing what? Well, I don't know. I've just always been interested in technology, I suppose. <laughs> but I mean, like, what, are you just practicing to try to make things happen? Well, yeah, the- I, I guess like to teach myself Java, I remember specifically, I was like, I really want to learn how to do something graphical like a video game. And so I taught myself enough. I think it was uh, JWT. <laughs> At the time, I forget which I forget which framework it was. Java's got a bunch of them, but it gave me sort of a two D canvas, and I would paint uh, a grid of squares, and I painted this little character, and I moved around, and I just kind of learned by looking it up in books or reading it on the internet. Mm-hmm. The resources have gotten a lot better over the years. Like I didn't have YouTube at the well, time. Well, that's what I was going to bring up too. <laughs> is that if you're talking early two thousands, YouTube wasn't no, yeah, I yeah, I had to. I don't know. I I used to go on dial-up modems to bulletin board systems in the 80s, and I kind of got used to digging through random people's, like, scrawlings on the walls to figure out how to make technology work. (laughs) And you guys, you had a computer. I didn't... My parents, we didn't, well, we didn't have a computer until I was, I was almost a senior in high school before sure. we had our own computer. It was a compact. Privilege, I think, to grow up so early with a computer. Well, my, my dad was with the, the Postal Service. He was at the National Headquarters over in Lonefont, and he... It was in the marketing department, and I think was just always curious about what the Postal Service could do with technology. Mm-hmm. He was one of the early people, I think, really pushing for giving every citizen an email address through the Postal Service. And that fell through, but it was an interesting sort of, like, connection of communication through technology. And, and so, like, he would bring home communications devices, because I think he was really fascinated by that. So that's how we got modems in the house really early, is he mm-hmm. was just borrowing it from work. And so that's, I think, how I had that kind of access. It's interesting growing up around D.C., like, this is... A lot of people talk about like the federal government is such like a big entity and it can be like a faceless thing. But honestly, I think like being sort of the child of someone who grew up in that, I mean, I think like the government has an incredible way of providing access in sort of an egalitarian way. Like I grew up without much money and yet I was able to get access to these kinds of things because my dad was able to like investigate those things through his work. I think it was really Mm -hmm. cool. That's kind of, and it makes sense. I mean, email is electronic yeah. mail. Yeah. So your dad working for the post office, like you can see the connection. There. That's right. 
So, so up to our, so we never. So. Sure. Yeah. So connecting the dots from the consulting company. And this is interesting thing. I built a wireless ISP from scratch when I was in Western Massachusetts. Anyway, our, one of our biggest clients was Testosterone Nation. Biotest Laboratories is the name of the company. Testosterone Nation was their web brand. And so I built that while I was a consultant with what that group. They do? They sell sports supplements. It's a bodybuilding magazine. Okay. Yeah. So it's like bodybuilding.com if you know that one. This is like the this is like the grittier, like grungier competitor to bodybuilding.com. Yeah. So it was a e-commerce system, web forums, real-time chat. We did some interesting publishing kind of stuff. Was there for five years or so. And then I ended up moving back to Maryland. And in like 2010, I met Adam Vitarello and Toby Moore, who had the, they had this company where you could sell things on eBay, basically. And they realized that uh, a bunch of businesses had stuff that they needed to sell on eBay. And they dug, they kind of followed that thread and found that these businesses had returned in excess and overstock goods that they weren't able to handle very well. And so they had this idea to build uh, a technology platform to enable retailers to get more value out of those goods. Uh, and so I met them, I met Adam first in, in 2010, and we talked about this idea and how they needed someone with sort of the technology skills and abilities to, to build that and take that dream to reality. And so I was like, yeah, great. And so I joined and I was the founding CTO and I was there until 2019. We grew it to oh, about 300 people by the time I left. It's more now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> What did that conversation kind of look like? It's like, this is... Well, I took a pay cut. Right. Did you did you put in equity too, or was that... I did not. No, I didn't have anything. Uh, well, that, okay. But you had, well, you had the skill set. So you I had, had the thing that they didn't have. That's right. Right? Because you can actually, they had the idea mm-hmm. and you had the ability to build the thing that yeah. they had the idea for. Yeah. They had a really strong prototype going. Like the whole, honestly, they were doing a whole bunch of things manually. It, it was amazing what Adam built in Excel and Visual Basic. I will. That was going to be my next question. Because yeah. nowadays we have like Adobe XD. We have so sure. many resources where you can build like a platform kind of drag and drop almost. What did you use then like this is 2010 yeah 11? so yeah the whole low code no code revolution hadn't really hit yet yeah <laughs> no so adam had built adam was the coo and president he had built a bunch of stuff in visual basic and excel and it was pretty impressive what he was doing even connecting to third-party api services at the time it wasn't going to scale and so we had to rebuild everything we used ruby we actually worked with a local contracting shop InfoEther, which eventually got acquired to become the core of living socials engineering team later oh. Yeah, so we worked with those guys. It was like me and I was like three or four engineers from that group. And we built everything in Ruby on Rails. I got it up, got it running. Eventually got a patent on it. (laughs) All right. And so, and so what's happening in 2019 to where you felt like you wanted to kind of move on? Yeah, well, um, you know, a few things that happened. The company, I think, was going well. I think this is actually, I need to talk about, like, my personal story. I'm trans. I'm transgender. And so, like, in 2017, I came out and transitioned. And everybody at Toro was super friendly and welcoming and supportive. And I appreciated that. But I think there's something about being a trans person and, and like, needing sort of a, a bright line in your life sometimes to, like, because... I don't, there's something that it's difficult to communicate to other trans people really get this, <laughs> but to, to share like when people have seen you for a very long time and not up tour, I'd been there seven years already as, as my old self. And they still saw me as my old self every day and every moment of every day. And I knew that, and this isn't anything against the people I'm working with. I, I love them. They're still my you know great friends of mine. I work with some of them again now, but 
needing that kind of space to sort of reestablish yourself and, and sort mm-hmm. of like be who you truly are in a different space. I think that's something that I fundamentally realized after a little while there. And so Optoro was going great. It is going great. I'm still really proud of everything we built there, but I needed a change in my life. And so I started looking for new opportunities and talked to various people at various times. And eventually I met Roy and Jim and Mike over at Axios. And, and that's what led me to take that opportunity. And just like on a personal level, again, like it was quickly night and day. Like I went to the second Axios uh, annual party, which was really fun. And where was it? This was uh, at a, an event space downtown. I forget the name of it offhand, but it was I don't know, just up from Logan Park. I think. What, and what time is it? Like an annual like holiday party? Well, this just- was the. They were smart. They they worked with a sponsor to like do like a co-marketing event and also get a party out of it. <laughs> so this is, uh, I think with Boeing, they're uh, really helping drive Boeing's like spacefaring mission with yeah. uh, influencers in, in the district. And so this was sort of a party to connect that that vision and that mission to people who could make policy decisions and, and just sort of learn about what Boeing was doing. Mm-hmm. And so we were also like, Oh, Hey, it's also Axios's second year anniversary. So let's have a little celebration. So, so yeah, that was, that was fun, but just meeting them, like the women, like there's a subtle thing where like women give men more physical space than, than women. And so like the women were standing close to me and I was like, Oh, I'm being accepted for who I am. People actually finally see me for who I am. This is pretty amazing. So yeah, it was, it was a good thing for me personally. Oh. It was a strange thing. I think, career-wise but it's worked out really well i think what was funny is even as we get older we're still like it's still like seventh grade all over again like you walk into the room and the women are over there and the guys are over here oh it totally is right (laughs) i think you notice this so much more when when like gender is like this huge thing in your brain and you kind of have to think about it so much it's like yeah Yeah. because then it's like what side do i stand on sort of thing yeah oh yeah it's like oh i'm supposed to be no i'm not supposed to be here this feels wrong this feels weird yeah Yeah, that's interesting what was it like over at axios because that's a very different business what was the learning curve like to learn that business i mean you were still cto so you were doing the thing you did really well yeah so so i joined axios both to help drive the the media mission forward but also more importantly we had this vision of building uh, b2b software to help people communicate more effectively axios uh recognized that one of their big innovations in media was their ability to communicate. And so the Roy had this, I think, beautiful idea of like, well, let's try to bake that communication like fundamentals into machine learning, into uh, big tech and help people communicate really effectively through that. And so they were looking for somebody with a technology sort of industry experience, not a media experience, so that they could help really create that kind of vision going forward. So I happened to have media experience from from Testosterone Nation. I also had like the technology experience through Optoro and everything. And so it was a good fit. So learning the business, I mean, like media is wild. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's very different. Like I, the men's magazine I was with was nothing like 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 big media, which is how Axios is. I mean, like I some of the things that I did were around journalist protection, like making sure their devices were secure, making sure nobody could like pop their endpoints, they could actually do their reporting. Like that kind of security stuff just wasn't an issue in the bodybuilding world. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you're very you're niche. You're only you're only in one one vertical, which is bodybuilding, and the yeah. thing centered, centered around vertical. That's uh, right. That vertical. That's right. But Axios is. I mean, it's politics for That's sure, right. but a whole bunch of other verticals too and just making sure the whole publishing experience was easy people could do it from anywhere in the world like mm-hmm. from their phones i think that was a really interesting set of challenges too but then yeah getting into the b2b space was was another whole thing yeah what was so you you're sounds like you're like a lot of people you were technical in your skill set but then you had to learn soft skills or sales yeah and and what was that process like did you have yeah. mentors that helped you sure i know you're part of a group with that's how we met with yeah. some other other folks i mean where did all that come into play 
what what impact was that making on you as you go through all of the things you're doing personally and professionally? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I learned a lot of this at Optoro. Like I at Optoro, being a co-founder, being the CTO there, I had to interact with the board. I interact had to interact with the venture capitalists. I had to interact with our sales team. I had to go out and talk to customers. And I'd done some of that in my consulting days and in various ways through that, but it was not in the way that I did it up to us. But also after a while, we brought in this executive coach uh, for the leadership team and she was fantastic. And I just can't say enough wonderful things about executive coaching writ large, especially like this was Amy Poozer. She's now head of people. Actually, I think she's the COO over at their WeWork competitor and I forget their name. So she was fantastic. She helped, I think all of us work through some of our rough edges <laughs> being kids effectively starting a company but with me she and well, i she talked was, but she was brought in to do what like seminars or meet with you one-on-one one-on-one or? yeah so one-on-one, one-on-one coaching, coaching with just the c-suite or everyone it was pretty much just the c-suite i think right. we added some more people over time yeah right and but so and was this once a week once a month once a month yeah uh about an hour long session each and we started by uh doing this thing called the leadership circle assessment it's like this I don't know, two or 400 question survey that you have to like make 15 different people answer. And like, it's like a 360. Like what impact do I make? They give you opinions, hopefully uh, raw opinions. Well, yeah. And that's the thing is like, you get this 360 picture of like how people see you. Mm -hmm. And that's the trick is that it's not who you are. It's how people see you. Yeah. It's not who you want to be or what you think or what you hope they see you as. Yeah. It's what they actually see you as. Exactly. And that's the thing that was really revolutionary for me because I was like, oh, well, I'm this brilliant technologist and I know what I'm doing and it's wonderful. No, people yeah. saw me as a jerk. Really? <laughs> was that, was that a, is that a real life like? Yeah. I, I, I think the, the input I got was that I look like. I don't take things seriously. I look like I'm full of myself. I look like I don't care about people. And I'm like, this is not me. I love people. I care deeply about everybody I work with. Like this is, and so it was a real eye opener. And so we get to look at, well, this is the feedback you're getting. This is how people see you. You should probably change that. that what, so what'd you do with that feeling? I mean, it's yeah. gotta be vulnerable and probably it was tough. Was, was a shame in there? Like, yeah, oh, like, yeah, no, I was, I was, mm-hmm. I had a hard time. And, and like frankly, every time, cause we did this assessment a few times and every time I was like, wow, I'm just so disappointed in myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm so, this is bad. Did you feel resentful at all? I'd like to something they don't at know first, what talking about. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. How could they say something like that? Look at all the nice things I've done for them. Like yeah. all the, and those are natural human emotions. Like, that's just, you're not different from anybody else that yeah. you see. I mean, sorry, oh, no, right? no, no, you're <laughs> a human being. Like, <laughs> what are you going to do? But it was really humbling. It really yeah. was because like, I don't know. Like at that point I'd done some, I think pretty impressive things in my career. And I'm like, well, I had a big ego. Yeah. And, yeah so, but this is, so what was the work you had to do now that you know? Yeah. Right? Like, what do you well, do with it? one of the first, like, the simplest things was just change how I dress. Like, I used to just wear t-shirts and jeans, like, all the time. And, like, dressing more business-like, I think, made a big mm-hmm. difference, first of all. Because it showed people, especially the people outside of the tech group, that I took everything seriously. That I was there to build something that they were there to build something. Uh, we were all passionate about the same thing together. And that, that subtle cue of just sort of how you show up. I think is a big thing that seems so natural to me now. But at the time it was just like, wow, really? People care? I'm just like, I'm living in the world of abstract ideas. Like who cares about what I look like? <laughs> Especially being trans and not right. having come out at the time, I'm like trying to run away from how I look in the world. But do you think that had a lot to do with it? I think it did. I think it did, yeah. Do you think that like yeah. that was more like you and you trying to like Well yeah, like I so I mean I was presenting mail still all the time and, and the idea This is at Axios. This is at Uptoro. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 
this is before Axios. Yes, yeah, right, so this right. is like 2014 or so. Uh, How old are you now? Then oh, then I was t- uh, 34 at the time. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I was didn't like to mm-hmm. I, I like men's suits were like the worst thing in the world for me because it was like embracing masculinity it was embracing like being a man and i was like i'm not that like this feels so wrong and it took me a while to realize why but it was just always like the worst thing so i had to kind of like force myself to like wear a suit to wear at least just a button-down shoot and a bla- shirt and a blazer not to just t-shirts and kind of like whatever giant right. hoodie i could throw over myself <laughs> but is that do you think like looking back on it is that why you were dressing in the t-shirt and jeans because you were sort of rejecting the suit yeah. because the suit represented yeah being a guy yeah yeah for sure yeah, that's also why I never not, connected with sports, really. Oh, yeah, because yeah. I was asking, did you play sports? But yeah. like that would have been you'd have played on the guys' teams. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's right. Yeah, it, it was just it was a lot of things that I was running away from. So, but I mean, so you're doing that just like we have mentors in our life for everything else, right? Yeah. I, I have more than one mentor because no one person fills all my gaps. There's a yeah. guy that helps me with understanding accounting and finance, personally and mm-hmm. professionally. I've got mentors for career growth, mentors for personal growth, mentors mm-hmm. for but yeah. Did you have people that you can talk to about being trans or coming out? Or, or well, I mean, I had that? a therapist, and uh-huh. I grew a set of friends in the community. Was that therapist trans also? No, no, just someone who dealt with trans issues and knew how to talk about it. Yeah, honestly, my <laughs> my therapy sessions were pretty fun. My therapist ba- barely spoke. <laughs> it's just oh. like, so tell me what you want to mind, yeah. and I would just talk because, yeah. like, that's who I am. The first session, I was like, "There's no way this is a thing. Well, this is dumb. This is just all in my head. This is stupid." Second session, it was just me being like. Why am I burdened with this horrible thing? What is? Why is life so terrible? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just gonna like box it away and run away from it forever. And the third session was like, screw it, I'm trans. I'm gonna deal with this, and I'm just gonna have to deal with, like grab the bull by the horns, I guess, in a lot of ways, and embrace it. And I mean, you know, talking to me today, I'm very comfortable with who I am. I'm very. I think I look fine. I think I'm all those kind of things. But back then, I was like, ah, oh, I'm gonna go through the real Bardo here. I mean, like this is just purgatory for and it was for the next year year and a half of just like looking like a freak for a while and dealing with that and do you think you looked like a freak or you thought other people thought you looked like a freak both yeah Yeah. i mean it's impossible to be completely objective i think in that and and every trans person who goes through transition like i think really struggles with that for a while especially if you do it in your 30s Well, yeah, because you got three decades of not being that way. That's right. Um, That's right. Yeah, but you know what's funny about that that interaction with your therapist or just those thoughts or those ideas that you can insert anything you want for being trans. Like anytime you're making a change in your life or you're doing something different, right? And yeah. that could be maybe you were struggling with anger issues, addiction issues, whatever it is. Yeah. Insert whatever you want. Those sort of ideas. And that resistance to the fact that you can speak to someone. We don't know what we don't know. Yeah. So... This idea of talking to someone else who's going to let you do most of the talking and it's going to help you is very foreign to a lot of us. Yes. And I think it's because most of the time, no one's really listening. They're just waiting for you to stop talking. That's right. Right. And that's a very different thing. Whereas that person's actually listening to you. And that's probably the first time that you got to actually say all of the things. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because this is stuff that had been in the back of my mind looking back since I was like eight you know, and it was just like things that I've been avoiding and not thinking about directly, but spending some time focusing directly on this thing and being like, no, that shining a bright light, that is a problem you need to solve. Like, yeah, going through all kinds of different life change. I mean, that's incredibly difficult. I had, I guess I had the additional hill of having to do it in front of everybody. (laughs) Yeah, it's very, very public, right? It's unlike 
some of the other things I mentioned, right. Or going through a divorce yeah. or whatever. But I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen people struggle with like addiction and things like that. And you, like that stuff comes out in your, in your What's funny is that, yeah, they probably think no one knows. We all know. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows you're shaking. So, you're yeah, sweating. So I have a lot of empathy for that. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it happens every day. Yeah. And, and on the other side of that is a freedom. Mm-hmm. Right. Which sounds like what you what exactly. you're talking about. Yeah. I let go of a huge weight and mm-hmm. I'm able to connect with people a lot more effectively. I'm able to be a lot more present every day. Like I show up as myself every day and there's an incredible power in that. That's amazing. So how does that allow you to interact differently now with the people around you now well, at Amazon? At Optoro, I, I noticed immediately I had this powerful authenticity of just showing up and being myself and I didn't have to like hold back i didn't have to think differently i didn't have to afterwards yeah and and people i think subtly just connected with me a lot more effectively even at optoro where i was feeling some of those challenges in people knowing me before and then at axios and at amazon now and other places like i find that i'm just more able to connect with people quicker more directly more naturally like I think this is a thing we've seen in politics. Like, I think one of the great revolutions of sort of politics over the last decade has been like the power of authenticity. And I mean, like it or not, the people who have been getting elected have been absolutely 100% uniquely themselves. And they like embrace every aspect of that. Uh, I mean, I think we saw this with, with Trump, for example. I'm not the greatest Trump fan myself, but I, I very much appreciated how he was like, no, I did that thing. And that was me. And, and people loved him for it. And I think we see that now in other in other political spheres and, and in, in leadership. I mean, people react instinctively and natively to, to authenticity in a way that they just, I don't know. It's a human thing, I think, to be absolutely honest, to be completely truthful and everything about yourself. And there's incredible power in that. Yeah, because if you're in a leadership role and you can admit that you aren't perfect or that you mm-hmm. don't know something, exactly. or that people will relate to that. We can That resonates with all of us that like, yeah. I, I didn't know either. Well, we've all worked with that leader who's been like, <clears throat> no, I know what I'm doing. This is fine. You just, just, just tell me, Jim, what, what's that? Right. Thing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we can see through that instantly. Right. No matter how well they are at, at, like, pulling the wool over people's faces. Yeah, exactly. But when somebody actually knows what they're doing, when they're clearly confident, when they actually are, are themselves and they admit to what they don't know, we respect those people in a way that we don't want anybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you still seeing your coach now to, sure. to continue to grow? Yeah, well, I, I had a different executive coach at Axios. She was great, too. Um, that you sought out or they had? I This is actually, I negotiated this as part of my as part of my package, my benefits Because package. of the experience you had yeah, exactly. and the value you saw in that. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and so that was really fantastic and I think, again, helpful. At Amazon, we have a different set of mentorships. So I actually have a, uh, a mentor. He's actually a sponsor, we call it now. He's the... Internal? Internal, yeah. He's the general manager of S3. And so What's he, S3 stand for? A simple storage system. It's our main, it's our big like storage product. Uh, Kevin's fantastic. He's like a VP. He's done a bunch of really great stuff. He's got a ton of experience that we talk about and I learn from all the time. What does yeah. that look like? Is it the same sort of thing where it's one-on-one and you meet every so yeah. often? And Yeah, it's one-on-one monthly. We spend about an hour together, talk about things that are on my mind, areas that I'm having success and struggling with and kind of brainstorm together ways to make that better and yeah it's it's fantastic yeah, it's because you asked for it or it's just a thing yeah i asked for it you asked for it so you've learned that like you can ask for this help and people will give it to you absolutely and frankly like even unofficial mentors like i have no shame going to anybody i meet and be like help me learn about that thing 
Yeah. I want to understand more about this. Or like, would you be happy to share your experience? This is exactly what you're doing, I think, with this podcast. It's like, you go out to people and you're like, hey, would you tell me about how you did this stuff? Yeah, sure. That's, that's really all it is. It's like, I am almost, I'm <laughs> desperate to learn yeah. how people are doing the things that they're doing. And what's in, not, you can read the books about Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel, I can get better at basketball. I understand this growth mindset 100%. If I start playing basketball every day, then I'll get better at basketball, mm-hmm. but I may not replicate his career. There's people all around that. If you want what they have and you do what they do, you might end up getting what they got. Yeah. Like you can really find, and they they are happy to mentor you. Mm-hmm. I'm just a person and I've been able to have coffee and meet with people of, mm-hmm. that I, I wouldn't have expected would have shown me any attention yeah. or had any conversations with me. And they do. And and that's what I was after. And then I thought, well, there's probably other people like me. Why don't I share that with them? And being in the government contracting federal services community, you see so much entrepreneurship, so much sure. leadership between the three. If I could just be even one step in the bridge to connect all three of those. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You you hit it on the nail on the head. Like, we're all just people. Like, no matter what we've done in our lives, yeah. I think some people, like, people have done really amazing things in their lives. Like, but there's just a human being who has had a life just like you and me. And, like had struggles, had challenges, found a way through. And some people start with more privilege than others. Sure, yeah, that's a big thing. Don't get me wrong, I get it. <laughs> but but like seriously, like the if you go up and you ask somebody, like what's the worst you're gonna get? They're gonna be like, oh, I'm busy. All right, thanks. Yeah, and that doesn't even mean that I won't do it. It's just not when you ask them. Like, hey, when it, it, and that's right. Obviously we learn, you've gotta understand people a little bit to ask the right way. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, when you're free, can you talk to me? That's not gonna get anywhere. It's yeah. like, you know, can we meet on Thursday at 2 p.m.? Exactly. Yeah. Be specific. Be clear about what you're looking for. Try to find a specific time. Yeah. yeah. I'm very grateful for the people that have spent time with me on the show. And we get to talk about this and have an open dialogue. And it's 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 important to do that. And I'm very grateful that I get to learn. We all hear this phrase, imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. But no one's to hear someone actually talk about what it feels like to be there. That feeling of impending doom. That just sets in for no apparent reason because you had a great call at 10 a.m. And then at 1 p.m. it's like, oh, my God, this company is going under. Yeah. (laughs) Been there. (laughs) Like, why am I here? I don't understand why people keep asking me questions. I like I'm not the guy. That's right. But then by four o'clock, it's like, you know what? Let's just get back to doing what we're doing. Let's chip away at it. Let's make we'll make something work. And then I call them the brain weasels. It's yeah, it's it's really an up and down thing. And I think, yeah, it's that feeling of like, I shouldn't be doing the thing that I'm doing because I know all my secrets and everything that I've done wrong. Right. And every crazy thought that I've had that never left my mouth, but I know about and I remember and I probably repeat to myself, I know all of those things. And it's that that makes up this feeling of not enough or um, that's really, I think, for me, when I if I think about imposter syndrome and like anything that shows up. It, and it's usually happening when I'm doing something new. Yeah. And doing something new means that I'm doing something where I can grow. Yeah. So it's never a bad thing. Yeah. Push yourself. Exactly. I mean, it's like working out. So I'm exactly. lifting this 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 weight that I've never done before. It feels scary, but I push and I do it and I eventually get stronger. Or you're running farther or whatever you're doing. Yeah. And I, I think it applies to, to work too. You take a position that maybe you didn't think you were qualified for only to realize that you just got to learn a bunch of stuff and now yeah. you're qualified for it. Well, that, I mean, that growth mindset, like you mentioned, I think is a big thing. And I think that's, mm-hmm. this is why we like so many leaders reference like sports and other sorts of activities is because that's a place to learn that in a play, in a, you know, in a sort of activity surrounded by play and mm-hmm. by fun and, and with less, I think, stakes at the table for, until you get into pro sports, I suppose. But, but like if you can go and learn that, you can push yourself and you can 
grow and you can do more like in other venues in other non-professional venues like i think it's a fantastic opportunity to 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 be able to take that understanding back to what you're doing in the workplace and that's powerful we've talked about so much today um and I, and I really appreciate you opening up. And that's yeah. that's the whole point of this, to have a real dialogue around the ideas of mindset, leadership development, personal growth. You shared a lot about like what you had to do coming mm-hmm. out and transitioning. And I think that anyone who's ever had to do something difficult will relate to the mindset mm-hmm. and the thoughts and the ideas that are centered around that mm-hmm. to some extent, even if they've never had that. Wait, one thing, by the way, like the transition, I think has really given me an incredible perspective on being a woman in business and in tech and in leadership. Like people now see me as a woman, like it, people don't see me as anything else and they treat me very differently than they used to. Yeah. Like I tell people, I, I, I knew that people were finally seeing me as myself and they started talking over me in meetings. <laughs> But this is real. And this is like, I think one thing that I really want to hammer home for people who are paying attention to this, like women get marginalized and it's in subtle things that people do every day in unconscious things that people do every day. And like, I I can see this because I've seen both sides of that coin. And I think that I have this opportunity to like really raise a flag here. How we fix this. I mean, I think we have to be intentional for a while, but like, let's make sure we ask like so-and-so what she thought, or let's make sure that we're not just like, dismissing someone's ideas because of how they look or where they come from or the kind of like language they use or I mean like I work with uh, a whole bunch of people who have thick accents now and like it's I think it would have been easy for me to discount that earlier now I'm like no I mean like it doesn't matter where you come from doesn't matter what kind of background you have I mean like people with different skin tones and different kinds of experiences like everybody's a human everybody's gone through this kind of their own journey And, and to get back to this sort of like every individual is amazing like everybody's gone through something and they've gotten to where they are through a lot. And I want to learn about that. I want to understand who they are, who they are as a person. And I want to respect them. And I want to like be open and listen to them and pay attention to them. So it's an incredible, I think it's incredible superpower that I've gained now to recognize that this happens all day, every day in the world. And something I'm trying to share more. Well, that ties into, so a question I've been asking everyone that's been on the show is, about a jumping off point, a moment in time where they couldn't keep doing what they were doing, but they knew they had to do something different and they weren't sure what that different was. Right. And it could also tie into a moment in time where you thought it was a horrible thing that happened to you. And now you're truly grateful for it. Do you, can you, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, your, yeah. My transition is that. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I, like, yeah, I felt like we covered it, but yeah, we did. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just want to make sure I gave and there might've been something else. No, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, like there've been others, but that's the big one. <laughs> I mean, you look back on it and, and I, I, and I can hear it in what you're saying because i've got experiences where like i'm only the person i am now with the frame of reference and the thought process and the and the mindset and the ideas and the perception of the world and the people around me Uh because of that period of time that was incredibly difficult that at the time i could have been like well i could do without this yeah but now i look back and i would never change any of that yeah because if i didn't have that i wouldn't be this absolutely i mean that that's the big one for me there have been other times in my life i think that have been also like i'm going through a lot of trouble and a lot of pain. Like right now, I'm a month into my role as GM mm-hmm. and I'm spinning up on a lot of stuff and I'm resetting things and I'm changing direction and I'm drinking from the fire hose. I am working like 80, 90, 100 hour weeks right now and it's a lot. It's pretty painful. Not, yeah. gonna, not gonna lie. But I know that that's a part of like sort of like switching lanes and moving into this lane and, and being effective in this mm-hmm. position. And like I know because I've gone through things like this before that 
I'm going to figure it out and things are going to make sense and my life's going to get back to something that I can sustain and I'm going to be more effective. I'm going to be able to do more amazing things. I'm going to be able to help people do more amazing things too. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, a, there's a huge power in having gone through those kinds of challenges in your mm-hmm. life and, and knowing that you can work through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's an incredible mm-hmm. like personal power thing. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the, that purposeful, I have a morning routine that seems like daunting to other people, but I purposely mm-hmm. put myself through things like that. And a lot of people talk about that. Mm-hmm. Do hard things on purpose because that's it right. builds the mental resilience. Well, that's the thing. That was my, my sort of like mantra when I was starting to transition is like, I can do hard things because mm-hmm. I can take the cold shower. It's not going to be that bad. That's right. It's probably you think it's colder in your mind than it actually is. Yeah. And then you get in there and you realize, Hey, it's not even exactly. I can do you hard know? things. Right. And then where does, where else would that show up in your life? Well, look, I know you're busy and I, you just talked about your 80 hour weeks and I took an hour out of it. So <laughs> I appreciate you spending time with us and thanks for being here today. Yeah. Thanks. Joel. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening to DC local leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC local leaders on Instagram at DC local leaders or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.